When slithering horror threatens, when assassins narrow their sights, when terrorists strike, when killers fill the sky, when the green wigglies are coming to get you, when you're all doomed to die a horrible death. We're all doomed to die a horrible death. When you're in that kind of trouble, who do you call on? Have no fear. Doc Savage is here. It's time to proceed. Stay in your seat and hope you'll beat this evil foes. Shama people, and welcome to our 176th episode of Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime, the man himself, Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? I'm doing well. I, I think for this episode, I'm going to be referring to myself as uh, Doc Bliss, just in, you know, commemoration <laughs> of Doc Savage, because, you know, I got to be cheese like this guy. <laughs> That's what sounds like a plan to me, because as Keith was mentioning today, we are discussing a doc. Doc Savage, The Man of Bronze from 1975. This was directed by Michael Anderson, who actually has Oscar Gold to his name as he directed the Oscar-winning movie Around the World in 80 Days. Also, Logan's Run as well, which I know was very popular as well. The film was written by Joe Monahan and George Powell, while the score was by Don Black, Frank DeVol, and adaptations, of course, of music by John Philip Sousa. So let's start here with general impressions here, Keith. Was this the first time you sat down to watch this? And uh, what did you make of it? Yes, this, I, I had heard about this before, but this was the first time I sat down and like focused on this movie and watched it. And it was everything I expected and more in terms of when this movie was made, when this came out, the just the over-the-top cheesiness and the, the corny acting and everything. Uh, it was amazing. And it's the perfect movie for today. It's really rainy, nasty by me. So this was just, it made my day watching this movie. You know what? You and I actually in sync when it comes to that, because I had never seen this film. I had actually read some Doc Savage comics here and there through Comixology, because, you know, that's really where you, where you can find them. And we'll mention that more in recommendations. But and when I sat down to watch this, I'm like, OK, this is from the 70s. This is Michael Anderson, who, as I mentioned, directed Around the World in 80 Days, which is not the best movie to win Best Picture. However, I did see a lot of Around the World in 80 Days in this, because Around the World in 80 Days is his version anyway. It's very light. There's a lot of levity. There's a lot of comedy to it. There's a lot of almost double entendres, a little bit of that. So I can see Michael Anderson kind of breathing that into this. And it was very reminiscent to me of Batman 66 to a certain extent, but in a cheese, in a different kind of cheesy way, because it's not obviously this is the cheesy 70s. If you woke up there, the cheesy 60s of Batman. But it was so fun as ridiculous. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's one of those movies that's so cheesy you enjoy it. I could almost maybe compare it to The Toxic Avenger, which I yes. love to death, even mm -hmm. as corny and as crazy as it is. This is very much in that vein. It was so entertaining. It was so fun. I mean, I was shaking my head at certain things that were happening there, but I was also chuckling. I'm going, yeah, okay, movie, I get this. This is fun because 
I think also the film itself is not trying to take itself seriously in the sense that there's so many overt things here. It's clear, like we're making this superhero movie, but at the same time, we're also going to kind of, kind of make a bit of a joke of it. We know from the acting to certain choices to villains and what have you, it's just so over the top that it's clear that Michael, no, me too. It's clear that Michael Anderson was not trying to do, I don't know, like Joel Schumacher, for example, taking it seriously but making it terrible while here he was just like, I'm going to make this movie and we'll see what we do, what we do with it. So it was incredibly entertaining. It was great fun. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to, to discussing more about this movie. And I'm so glad you enjoyed it too, Keith, because I, I wasn't sure when it came to, you know, cheesy stuff, whether this would have been, you know, your cup of tea. I, I It's a fine line with me with cheesy movies. Cause I, I do, I'm with you like the toxic Avenger killer clowns from outer space, all of those like cheesy B movies that are just you have to just groan and when you watch them and it's just that funny because when they came out they were a big deal but now that you go back and watch them you're like this is terrible this is amazing so it's kind of the same and i'll even throw another movie out there uh cool world which we some of our friends mm-hmm. love to hate is another one of those movies that you just you groan but you love it you, you can't not watch it it's definitely one of those no matter what kind of mood you're in you watch this movie you get a laugh and that's i feel like that's the point not oh. that when it came out but now oh i totally agree not to mention i think this is a great film if you need to pick me up if you need like to feel good a feel good kind of movie this is great for that i mean say you i know like my, in my case I'd watched a super depressing, super dark film. I was like, oh, that was a bit of a downer. What can I kind of watch to, to kind of cheer me up? And luckily I had to watch this and it just, you know, my spirit was soaring by the end of it because of how ridiculous it was. So, uh, oh, so kudos. yeah. So kudos to you, uh, Michael Anderson and, uh, you know, and Doc Savage, of course. So I guess let's start off by looking at our man of bronze himself. We have Ron Eli as Clark Doc Savage Jr. So, uh, Keith, what did you make of our protagonist? Oh, so I will say the casting was perfect. You know, I, I have seen some of the older, you know, 70s and some of the, you know, like the Gilligan's Island and Batman 66. So to see him as Doc Savage, granted he wasn't in any of those, he is the perfect Savage. He played the character perfectly, the way he was written just to be like so over the top. He has that big monologue getting onto the airplane. He's like, we must do what we're supposed to do. And they have all this applause, like from this audience of, I don't know who imaginary people. And I was just loving it because he just breaks out. He's like, remember guys, we must do it. And has his hand on his shoulder or on his hip rather. And just like, must do this trying to like motivationally, you know, do this speaking for his team. And I'm like, this is amazing. I don't know who wrote this, but he needs to write more. So I I loved it all the cliches he embodied all the cliches for when this movie came out he was just so over the top he was like every woman was swimming all over him like everybody wanted to be him you know he was the smartest guy in the room although weirdly enough he never really seemed that intelligent but that's a whole different issue so i i thought it was great you know the the Awkward love interest. I was dying just because, you know, for when this movie came out, was it 75? They couldn't really show too much physical intimacy. And there's just like that awkward, like, I like you. I like you. And they're just like looking at each other, locking eyes, and then just cut off into some other scene. I'm like, this is amazing. So for how he played the character, how the character was written, I, I think it, it it was a great watch. You know, to rewatch this again, you're definitely going to groan a little bit more. But for an initial first time going through, I think he played the perfect Doc Savage. I love the fact that there was a 
mural on the wall of his dad who looked exactly like him, which was creepy. But that's a whole different issue. So I, I think, you know, all in all, if he was a fun character, like, you know, you, he's not very deep. He's not like one of these, you know, Robin Williams or type of, you know, anybody that has done type of um, any type of heavy, I'm trying to think of a movie, um, what's a few good men, you know, something like that, where there's like depth to it and you're like emotional impact. No, this guy, Doc Savage does not have any of that. No, it's very true. And I will say, I mean, Ron is, was a perfect casting. I agree because he has those very sort of, I guess, almost typical soap opera good looks. I mean, I could see him playing in soap operas because he, yes. you know, he has the chiseled jaw, the piercing blue eyes, the blonde hair and stuff. And even his acting, it could almost seem that part of it came out of a soap opera. What was curious about this is, granted, the character Doc Savage predates Captain America, this very much felt like we're going to kind of almost poke fun at characters like Captain America, you know, like the good American boy, you know, bleeds red, white and blue is so noble and such a goody two shoes, but to such the nth degree that it's almost a parody. And that's kind of the the um, at the image I got of the way that this Doc Savage, you know, was portrayed, not to mention using Sousa's music, which is very much marching band kind of music. And it's very patriotic, soaring music, you would almost associate that with somebody like Captain America, especially in the first Avenger when, you know, we first see him before he becomes serious Captain America, where he's kind of, you know, visiting the troops and what have you. That's the kind of impression I got when it came to him. But yeah, he's so over the top. The powers he has are just over the top. I mean, because apparently he has incredible strength. He can mind read. He can... I mean, the only thing that he can't do is like fly. The other thing, everything else he's got, he's got money, he's got muscles, he's got magical powers, he speaks a million languages. It's just insane. And not to mention, I love the fact that he brands his stuff. Literally, Doc Savage on everything he's got. I mean, I, you know, I, I get Batman does that too with the Batplane and the Batmobile and so on. But it's, it was hilarious just the fonts they used on whatever vehicle he had. And he has an answer for everything, which I think is just fantastic. And yeah, I agree when it comes to women, you know, every woman in the, in the room swoons over him, but at the same time, it's like, oh, I can't get emotionally attached because the mission is the most important thing, <laughs> yes. you know? And, and so She's everybody at arm's length, he's like, I, I must focus on what I have to do. I will love you. I'm just thinking eventually at some point, Doc Savage that like, comes out of the closet and I'm like, oh, that's why he could never really love a woman. Oh, all right. That makes perfect sense. Like, I'm not even surprised. Could yeah, Doc Savage, he cracked me up. The, like you were saying, the powers. He's sitting there trying to pull a bullet out of a wall. It, it's We're not talking like a concrete wall. We're literally talking like particle board, you know, sheetrock type of level stuff. And he splits his shirt. I was like, oh my God, what is this stuff made out of? Uh, he cracked me up. And then the scene where he's riding on the, the car back to his house and he's standing on the little ride panel. It's like pointing, like, go that way. Guys, they know where he lives. Like, what, what is going on here? Oh, he's the more we talk about it, this the more fun stuff I, I comes up. Oh, oh, it's true. And not to mention, you know, the fact that it's so over the top of the fact that whenever he like looks at a woman, something he has to gleam in his eye, they have a little bing thing go off when he <laughs> yes. comes to his eye. So, and that's, I think, once again, Anderson is directorially very much saying, you know, we're, we're having a laugh here, folks. And But I will agree with you. I definitely want to check out more stuff that was written by Mo Monaghan and George Powell, who are the writers for this film, because I like the cut of their jib, as they used to say. I, it, wow, that's an expression I haven't heard ever. 
<laughs> I know, right? But uh, And so it makes me want to see what else Monaghan and Powell have done, and if they've done more stuff like this, because it was incredibly entertaining. And what the other thing I thought was, was crazy about this is that, granted, the whole, uh, shall we say, concept of this movie is Doc Savage is trying to find out more about his father's mysterious death, right? So like, mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. he ends up going to um, Hidalgo and uh, you know, try and find out more about it. But at the end of the day, you know, it's how it all just resolves itself. It's just so ridiculous. And we will, of course, talk about the, the final fight between him and Captain Seas, which was just crazy. And of course, oh. it ends with him, you know, him and Mona sharing a kiss and, and the whole village kind of applauding like, yeah. And it almost seemed to me that it was also, it could possibly been a, uh, they were taking the, the piss out of the white savior as well, in the sense that you have the whole white savior complex of, you know, this man is clearly, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed and, uh, and, and just goes to, goes and saves this population of indigenous people. So I wonder whether it was also maybe a little bit of a, a one, possibly a nod to the comics because, you know, at the time, you know, racism was still an unfo- a very unfortunate thing and very much stereotyped. So I wonder whether the one they were taking kind of, you know, pot shots at that and two possibly taking pot shots at the concept of the white savior, because that's very much what Doc is at the end of the day. But it's no, so 100%. much over the top, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. I, I think you hit that nail on the head. I, I didn't think about it now. It's that's exactly where I think they took that page out of the the white man has saved us and he has taught us language and stuff like Wow, apparently you felt you know your dad felt the need to teach them the English language opposed to, I don't know, you learning their language. So yeah. I, I there didn't there's a very much a white savior complex in there. But I think that's just like you said, it's for the time when it was written in the 70s. That was still very much a unfortunate thing. Oh, it was. And not to mention the other thing that we thought was ridiculous was how is gold bubbling in like <laughs> 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 I, don't, I don't really explain it i like and then everything's gold plated at the end of the movie i'm like that shit's heavy does anybody understand this like you shouldn't be able to just pick a cane up and like swing it around like it's no big deal and there's gold on all their shoes so now their shoes are all worth like who the hell knows how much and it can't be pure gold because again it's been liquid bubbling up through i don't know where yeah because isn't gold usually mined i mean i'm not a miner but doesn't gold <laughs> usually occur in mines yeah, in theory, yes. And I get that it's like an active volcano. So hypothetically, the magma has melted the gold down and that is how it's boiled to the surface. But at some point, that's going to run out. It's not like it's an infinite amount of gold. I get it for when it was written. 100% it's infinite. But in reality, when that volcano erupted and spewed all the gold over, all over everything, that's all she wrote. That's it. They're done. Have a nice day. There should not be anything left. It was it was hilarious. I mean, that's why I love this. <laughs> that's why I love this film so much. So I guess then moving on to some more entertaining characters here. Let's get to Doc's partners in justice. We have the fabulous five, aka uh, we Long Tom Roberts, played by Paul Gleason, William Lucking as Rennie, Michael Miller as Monk, Eldon Quick as Johnny, and Daryl Zwirling as Ham. So, what did you make of our of our fa- fabulous five, Keith? Oh, they were terrible. <laughs> so terrible. I, I get it. You know, he needed, well, he didn't really need them because they didn't add too much to the story. They were great as like a tag along ensemble, but he did most of the heavy lifting. There was no point where that other than the dinner where he had the lighter, the one electrician guy, mm-hmm. um, 
that was really pretty much it. Like Doc Savage did everything else in this movie. They, they the lawyer. God, that was terrible. He he was just. Mm. I, I get what they were trying to accomplish, but like, why doesn't he have a, one of his teammates be like a plumber? Because you have a guy who does construction, you have an electrician, you have a lawyer, you have a chemist, and then like, where's the plumber? Where is the the mason? Like, how? And I get it. In the seventies, there were not many fields out in the world, but. At the same time, there were so many others. I'm just thinking, like, when's uh, Mario or Luigi going to jump out and be like the plumber of the team or something stupid? Just because th- that's how it was. It was just so corny and cliche that he had this team of specialists in fields that didn't apply to this at all. They didn't use any of that random knowledge to be like, oh, I'm going to go build something or I'm going to go fix the whatever somewhere or something. You're in a third world country, has no power, but you need an electrician on the team. So, mm-hmm. or a lawyer that can't practice law outside of the country and has a sword, which I don't understand how that got past customs, but whatever. No, I mean, what, and what about the Ham's pig habeas corpus, <laughs> you know? That is true. That was another one. I didn't think he had it. All of a sudden he popped up out of the table and was like, how don't they get through customs? That, that, that's going to be quarantined for like three months. Not to mention they're going to try eating it because it's a fucking pig. <laughs> this is true. I mean, yeah, I I do think you know they they are very much co- you know comedic really for me as comical as the film is uh, as a whole. I think that that's what their role is just to add that extra comedy to it, especially when it comes to their interpersonal relationships. You know, between I think it's Ham and uh, Monk, um, Ham and Rennie, I believe it is, who are the ones who keep going at odds with each other, and uh, you know, and at the end they like. You saved me. You saved me. We're friends, right? Yes, we're friends. And now my <laughs> we're best buddies all of a sudden. Yay, I love you. I love you too. And you're like, all right, that's it. Squash real fast. <laughs> yes. And then my pig will retrieve your sword stick. You know, yes. Just a- <laughs> I mean, uh. I will say, I will say uh, kudos to little habeas corpus there as True. the pig, which was just, it was just fabulous. I mean, I'm amazed that habeas corpus survived that long because between everything that little pig has been through, it's insane. It's still alive. I mean, Ham pig has seen some of- shit. Oh, big time! I mean, Ham is like stuffing him into his pocket, and they're going, and then he's being trapped in a cave, and they're flying here and there. It's it's insane. But yeah, I mean, I think they were very much you know, comedic relief as a whole. And what was odd is, granted, as I mentioned before, this did come before Captain America. Once again, it made me think of Captain America. They were like his howling commandos, if you will. Exactly. You know, not because we find out that they, like the Howling Commandos, had a military past because that's mm-hmm. how how Doc and the Fabulous Five became a team because they were army buddies back in. The, I, I, I'm assuming at that point, what would have been? I guess it would have been Vietnam, possibly if it's set in the 70s or uh, the Second World War. Or the I First think it would World more be. I, I would have to say one of the World Wars because Vietnam, while I was still going on, that didn't. That was more like a 78, like the end of the 70s, and at that point, these guys would have been older so it had to have been like world war one world war two one of those two wars uh but yeah they and you can tell they're all from different walks of life so someplace that had to have required um some type of draft because you have a lawyer you have the the chemist and you have you know the electrician and just the everyday man so i feel like it had to have been world war one or world war two something that again required some type of drafting because <laughs> These people would not have met each other in real, you know, everyday walks of life. 
Oh no, definitely. And that's why, as I said, I mean, uh, uh, that why they remind me kind of the, the howling commanders, but maybe a little bit more nerdy and maybe a little bit more uh, comedic because obviously, you know, we've seen the latest version of, of, of the howling commanders, of course, or iteration in once again, Captain America, the first Avenger. And they're not like this at all. Obviously they're just, they're much more serious, if you will. But yeah, he was very much like that kind of mo- that's a kind of feel of some of them a little bit geeky, some a little bit funny, and but they get the job done at the end of the day. And uh, I, I love the interaction amongst the five of them, and the whole thing of versus you guys are coming. I'm, I'm going. To, I have to go to Hidalgo. Will you guys come with me? And like, eh, I've got a law thing. No, I've got this going on. Ah, psych. Of course, we're coming with you, Doc. You know. So at the end of the day, off they go. And I love the fact that they bl- they have one well, of their planes blow up just because like, oh, you never know who's watching us. And that plane must have cost a bomb, even though it's a dummy plane. But still, um, but no, it was Look, fun. And, go ahead. Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> so the, the, the Red Baron, because I don't know what else you're going to call him. Like he was literally hanging out in the sky for how freaking long, like waiting for them to take off. Like, how did he know they were going to jump in a plane and fly out there that morning? He's just like flying around like, do, do, do. Oh, look, there's Doc Savage. And then, like, takes off and starts shooting at him. And conveniently, they had, he magically invented the remote control airplane. I was like, what the? This dude, he he doesn't need the lake of gold. He literally just needs to sell the shit he's invented because a remote control airplane would have, the government would have bought that and, you know, built armies of those suckers. Like, I just, that cracked me up. That was definitely one of those scenes that, again, was cringeworthy, but I'm like, Okay, I get it. It's funny. Doc Savage is, you know, super inventor, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. And then yeah, he I mean, happened to have dummies and everything available. He's like, oh, yeah, I had dummies just hanging out here in my shed. Like, no big deal. And also, I love that they can tell when Doc is reading their mind because they can hear the oh ping God. in his head. <laughs> yes. I was like, what the hell is that sound? All of a sudden, um, what was it? Ham's like, we know what that sound is. Like, shit, you guys can hear that too? That would drive me nuts. Like, you figured something out. Like, what the crap? Like, you might as well just put a light bulb over his head and be like, bing. All right, Doc's got an idea. Like, how distracting is that? It is. I mean, it was hilarious. The fact that I guess they all studied mind control, evidently, or Doc into his circle of knowledge. And so it's, yeah, I mean, they're the perfect companions, I think, for Doc. And I guess they, you know, as some as a little bit inept as they say, seem to be sometimes and just you know, either fighting amongst each other or doing all sorts of weird stuff. They make Doc look even better. I think that's what <laughs> yes, they do. Oh, like, 100%. You know, they're kind of fighting like kids at the table and Doc is kind of like on the, on the diving board and all the chicks are checking him out. And like, Doc is always has the ladies, doesn't he? And it's like, it really is. It's always like, Doc, are you taking these people as your wingmen because they make you look even cooler than you already are? It's like, shit, I, you know, I, feel, I feel so bad for him sometimes. No, I, I agree with you because every time something like weird shit happens, you know, Ham or one of the guys is like, oh, Doc's at it again. You're like, I would be pissed. Like, how do, like, how do you get shit done? Like, Doc walks <laughs> in the room, everybody's swooning over him. Or again, the magic sounds of whatever distractionness, like, I'd be like, who's this oddball? I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they were a great, they, they were a fun little troop. So uh, as I said, they were very entertaining uh, for yes, what they, they did. So I guess uh, speaking of swooning people, let's get to one of the many women who swooned for Doc over the, over the course of this film. We have Pamela Henley as Mo- Mona Flores. So what did you make of Mona? 
she was, you know, good enough. And I don't mean it in disrespect. The, the actress, I've seen her in other things. She's actually a, a very good actress. But in terms of the writing and the depth of her character was about as shallow as a puddle. You know, there's one scene where she's eating a taco. I'm like, are you guys serious? She's literally eating a taco. All right. Like, that is terrible. Like, I even groaned. I was like, oh, God, come on. You know, and meanwhile, she's trying to type and she's like typing like one letter a minute. I'm like, if she's a, she works in an office, she's a secretary, she'd be like banging out like 60 words a minute without trying really hard. So it's like, they didn't know how to write her character. They could have done more with her. And they just didn't. They just were like, well, we need a love interest, but obviously we can't have love interests because it's the 70s and we can't show that kind of stuff on TV or in the movies. So we're going to have this really awkward, like, whateverness between the two of them. And I think there just wasn't actual natural chemistry between the two characters in general. So that kind of made it a little more awkward because that one quote-unquote love scene or whatever you want to call it just had a lot of awkward silence and staring at each other i'm like yeah that's about right that's what i feel like these two people have with each other but i I get it they needed a character to kind of help progress the story move the story along you know conveniently she's from a little village near wherever the hell her dad his dad died and they kind of sort of knew about these indigenous people that quote-unquote were killed or wiped out, but except still exists or some, you know, shenanigans. So I, I wish they had done more with her, but she's a product of the time. She very much is. And yes, as you said, there is a lot of convenience to this characters. And like you said, she ha- her village happens to be like the one village before the hidden one. And so, and obviously there she knows the kind of the, the, the head of the village there who knows all about this mysterious place where, uh, like you said, the, the Doc Savage's father was working and so on. What I thought was odd, I mean, it does kind of, I guess, want to reinforce that whole thing of, you know, Doc is loved by the women, but no woman can tame his heart kind of thing. It's always like that That kind of thing is like, of, of it reinforces that. Not to mention, she falls in love with him very quickly. And to the oh, point 100%. where she's like, Doc, I love you. I'm <laughs> woman you spend like two minutes with the guy and now you love him you might be in lust with him that i get but you can't you can't just openly go doc i love you you know and he seems to kind of almost reciprocate but then he kind of does the whole hand on her shoulder saying i can be i'm i belong to nobody because it's all about the mission and i can't have people come after me or come after those i love you know so it's it's, it's almost seems like he he's prepared he's had this had to do this speech multiple times oh 100 yes definitely <laughs> with multiple it was like oh gotta roll out the speech again we have to have the talk don't we so yeah, that's, uh, it's another one of these kind of relationships and sorry dear i can't love you i love the job I'm like all right whatever Exactly like I'm married to the sea kind of thing. So I guess that's exactly <laughs> that's that's what it is. But no, I mean I feel bad for Monami. It's good that afterwards, you know, she does obviously follow him into a certain doom and uh, and is kind of part of the proceedings, but not really because she's kind of like with the fabulous five who don't turn out to be that fabulous when it comes to being in a tight spot. But uh, you know, they do of course get their little kiss at the end of the at the end of the, the movie, which was nice. But you probably, uh, I guess, accept the fact that uh, you know, obviously, Doc goes back, and that's it. It's like I love you. We'll have this one passionate kiss, but that's all we'll ever have. 
But uh, I guess, you know, another another broken, another heart broken by Doc Savage, I suppose. So that's very much what, what uh, Mona's kind of role was in this. I mean, I agree with you. I have seen other things with Pamela Henley in them. And she, she definitely does a great job, uh, you know, in, in other things she's done here was... I guess, like you said, the, the the style of the time, the writing of the time. And I think also it serves the story because the fact of this man is so unobtainable and just so awesome that he just can't have women because he's just too awesome for, for a, a normal relationship. I guess that's that's what they're doing with this. So can we just point out the fact that she followed them to the end of the world and nobody noticed this? Because she gets captured by someone somehow, and they don't explain that at all. She's like, I followed you guys. How? We're literally standing at a ledge, and we were the only thing for, like, miles. Literally just us and nothing. The, the What were they? Donkeys or horses, whatever the hell they rode yeah. over there. That's it. And you missed her following you somehow. Like, you guys are spectacularly terrible at your jobs. That's what I said yesterday. I mean, one, if Doc is able to read minds, we could have had a pin going, she's following us. Right. <laughs> Spider sense or some weird shit. I don't know. Just anything like, hold on a second, guys. And he turns around. And he's like, what are you doing? And like, just like you see him acknowledge that she's following them or something. Not like magically she's in a cave. And then the fabulous five come in. She's like, I followed you guys. How? <laughs> it was literally the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, how? And then how did they capture you and not them? Like, what? What? Also, not to mention, Doc doesn't even get captured while everybody else does. And he was like on his own. And once again, it shows you the ineptitude to go back to the Fabulous Five of how inept they are. They just get captured like that and they get thrown into the cave. And I guess that is. And he's only gone for like two seconds. He's like, I'll be right back. All of a sudden, these guys jump out of like from behind a bush, like freeze. I'm like, how did he get past you? Like, what what just happened here? Like, where'd Doc go? Apparently, he can jump really far. We just don't know that. It's one of his many powers that he possesses. Exactly. <laughs> he has mastered invisibility, I guess, in by through some guru or or, medita- or meditating outside meditating the ice chested. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that was amazing too. Like, what because, is happening? Why? Why? Because of course you have to meditate outside bare chested. Of course, because uh, I mean that's Doc how you Savage. get the, the full experience. Exactly, because you're Doc Savage. That's how <laughs> Savage works. Exactly. So that was that was that was hilarious as well. But yeah, as I said, she was very much, I think, a product of the of the thing. We had to have a love interest or a alpha, if you will, love interest, because we had seen, you know, also the maids swooning over Doc when he was on the diving board. But you did, of course, have to have, you know, somebody who kind of took it a step further, I suppose. But yeah, by and large, I guess Pamela did as good as she could with what she was given. So I guess speaking of inept people. Let's round off our characters with our bad guys. We have, you know, quite a few, but I think the ones that kind of stuck out the most are Bob Corso, the chap obviously who turns to gold as Don Rubio Gorro, and of course, Paul Wexler as Captain C's. Terrible name. So <laughs> Exactly. I mean, he did spell it out to you so you figured out which one he was talking about. Like, they're like, oh, C's is in take. He's like, no, C's is in ocean. S-E-A-S. I'm like... Oh, it's amazing you had to spell it because nobody could figure that out. I was like, wow. Like, I feel like he's had to, like, that's another one of those people who had to, like, explain shit to other people at some point. Like, C's is like the perverse version of Savage. Yes. So you have Doc Savage, you're like, okay. And then you have C's, it's scummy, whatever dude. And he's like, my name is Doc C's. Like, oh, so you (laughs) took stuff? No, like, oceans. Oh, no, that's not what I thought. It's bad. But yes. And so I guess, uh, yeah, what did you make of these guys? So why, why was um, the, the cop or whatever you want to call him, why was he sleeping in a cradle? 
Like, what was that about? I don't, I don't understand. Like every time you cut to him, he's like, I'm going to bed. And he's in this big cradle. Like, why, why is he in a cradle? Like what? I don't wait. How? What does this have to do with anything? Like, I don't need to see him in his pajamas. <laughs> so there's just, at no point did any of these henchmen have any type of redeeming characters about characteristics about them. They were just very, they were there to get something done. Like they were there to get from point A to point B. And again, this is like every the other side character. They were just there long enough to tell you something that needed to be, you know, related to the story. Oh yeah. And uh, and when it came to Captain C's, did you dig him as our main villain? Oh, uh, I don't, I just, I don't even know it. It's just, wow. There's so much to unpack with him. The, the whole thing, he's got this yacht and everybody in the yacht is just evil like him, which was bizarre. Like it was just the rich people of the world, like the, the Illuminati or whatever, super, whatever you want to call it. And he just busts out into laughter and everybody else starts laughing. And I'm like, what, what is happening? Like, why, why are we all laughing? And then he has the, the blonde and the brunette and they're both a, as bad as intelligent as a bag of rocks between the two of them. And I was like, hmm. So again, it's a product of its time. You know, I'm not expecting Dr. Doom level of evil maniacalness, but I, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more. You know, we had Batman 66, where at least the characters, Joker, Riddler, all those characters had a little bit more depth to them. He again was one of those like, I'm the bad guy of the week, and I'm just gonna get defeated at the end, which he does in that most spectacular end battle, which we'll have to talk about. Um so I, what did you think of the henchman and himself? Well, here's the thing. When it came to like people like Don Garo, for example, I mean, here they were very much playing up the stereotype of the Hispanic characters because, of course, the only song they know is La Cucaracha. Of course, that's the only oh. song, you know. Oh, so I'm like, yes. are you taking pot shots of Mexicans here? I mean, I'm like, what are you doing? Because obviously we're in, I'm assuming, either Central or South America. I believe more Central America is what I'm thinking. Well, um, at the end of the world, I would have to, they might have started in Central America and then since he went on a trek for several days they ended up in south america like the very end of south america so yeah they just were like everybody not in the united states must be this character they just they lopped all the stereotypes into one ball and it was terrible but yes yeah i mean the fact that then everybody's singing la cucaracha was very odd i mean you even see doc kind of whistling it as he's on his donkey it's like i guess that's the only song they know and yeah, it was very odd. Like you said, the whole cradle scene. I mean, I get it. Once again, th those kind of scenes very much tell you we're not taking this seriously at all. We're literally giving you a comedy. This is this is com this is comedy, plain and simple. The fact that yeah, one is rocking the cradle, and you have you know Brahms's uh, lullaby playing, you know, which is obviously a typical thing that you would have. Mm -hmm. the, and this character is so over the top, you know, with his greed and his desire for gold. And of course, the very scratchy voice and stuff, which is once again, seemed a little bit stereotypical to me as well. But, you know, as I said, they're probably they're playing up the stereotypes here, which is a little bit unfortunate. But uh, other than that, uh, he's very much that he's pure greed is what he is. And that's that's what Don Garo is out for to the point to where it's raining gold. And he's like getting the little drops of gold into his, <laughs> into his coat. And he's, he's trying to stick it in pockets. his pocket. Like, that's not how this is going to work. It's boiling. You should be like screaming in agony because it's raining hot gold. 
That's right. And then, of course, he ends up, you know, because of his greed, he gets punished and turns into a literal gold statue. So I guess that's that's the fate that is reserved for Don Garo. When it comes to Captain C's, he very much is the larger than life villain. But to the point where it's like literally it seems like those characters literally jumped off the page of a 70s comic or heck, even a 60s comic. But and is just so over the top with everything he says, everything does. Like you said, he starts laughing for no apparent reason. Everybody laughs with him. And I was like, what are we laughing at exactly? And then, the, the, yeah, the, the people, the company he entertains on his ship, I guess he probably pretty much brought in the worst of the worst, pretty much all, like you said, the crooked rich people. Yep. And then, of course, he ends up perverting, you know, the, the member of the tribe and have him use his magical powers. What was with the weird green snakes? I, I mean, I, it was, I mean, I get it. Special effects are what they were. I love Doctor Who, so I can forgive bad special effects. But so were those like ghost snakes? Was that supposed to be what we were supposed to uh, figure out when, whenever these things came out? Is that what they were? I'm going to have to, I think so. <laughs> you know, the fact that Doc Savage defeated them with a fan, they, they really like, I wasn't too sure about it because one scene where the Red Baron or whatever we're going to call him gets attacked by 47 of those snakes and gets, you know, killed by, I'm going to assume poison. We don't I know. He's so. just bitten and something, I don't know, whatever. And then Doc Savage literally 20 minutes later is defeating them with a fan. So, <laughs> I'm going to say they're like spirits of the snakes or the snake God or whomever. I, your guess is as good as mine. So um, we'll it, it just made snake me, demons. Yeah, exactly. It just made me chuckle because they seem like the kind of things you would see, like literally in a seventies doctor who episode, you know, it came mm-hmm, to really bad special effects. So, and you know, and and I forgave it because, you know, I'm like, they're not taking this seriously. So I'm just going to laugh at it for what it is. And yeah, it's also very inconsistent what these snakes can do. Because like you said, Doc just opens a window, put, turns the fan on. And that's that. And it closes yeah. the window and they never come back. I'm like, wait, this dude, like what? He, he, they were in a closet in the, the Red Baron's house, you know, or room and like was going through these doors. And like even Doc Savage, they slid under the door. There was no window in the window so i don't understand why they didn't come back in I don't know. it's once oh, again it so it's, Doc, it's doc savage's awesomeness that's, that's fair that's, i think that's what it is they were they were that, intimidated yeah. by by his bronzeness exactly he was just like come back again if you dare you know kind of thing hands on his hips and what have you but no the the snake thing was weird when it came to captain caesar's i mentioned yeah he's just that very much over the top villain and I guess he, once again, just wants to be rich for richness sake. I guess that's what it is at the end of the day. Um, and so he, he wants to take over, I guess, that, uh, that, that uh, thing of gold is what he's after. And to the point of where he's literally going against like the tradition of these, these noble tribes people. And to like, oh, you're the chief. I don't care. You kill them now and I'll take the gold and, and what have you. And then he becomes such a wimpy little coward after he's been defeated by Doc. But yeah. I will. Let's talk about the fight. <laughs> yes, yes, please. please. <laughs> what I mean, what were they doing? They wanted to show us all the different martial arts that I guess Captain C's and Doc know. Because we went I don't from like, no, that was amazing. We went from what karate to sumo to tai chi chuan to wing chun to all sorts of stuff. I'm like, what are they doing exactly? <laughs> And why did they stop between each like fighting style? They're like they greeted each other like they were in a match. Like he, uh, the seas, Captain C, he would break the 
karate and then like you see savage do the same karate stance and they bow and like what what is happening like and then they had the, the boxing or the fisticuffs because they you know how they had their hands up and i was like this is amazing like why why don't you just one of you throw the other idiot into the giant boiling pool of gold that's literally an inch from your feet they're just like punching and punching and i'm like what what oh come on but i loved it it was just it was so bad it was amazing it was. I mean, I wonder whether, once again, that was also playing up to kung fu movies, which are probably pretty popular during the 70s. So maybe that's probably what they were to doing. to an extent, especially, um, what was it, kung fu, the, the literal kung fu movie with um, Cassidy. Um, that, I feel like that's kind of where they were going with that. Or the Green Hornet, the TV series, which you know was out around this time. Heck, even Batman TV series, they had the same kind of fighting style. They would kind of like okay, let's fight. And they would put their hands up. It wasn't like they were fighting each other and like the next person, like they stopped for that split second to like acknowledge the fighter and then do what they had to do. Right. It's true. So I wonder whether, as I said, it was, you know, playing up that and also possibly, like I said, the, these Kung Fu movies, you know, possibly, I don't know, like Bruce Lee films or, or stuff like that, or even David, David Carradine films, for example, even, you know, those kind of situations where, Martial arts were a big thing. I mean, I believe in the comic book world in the 70s, wasn't this roughly when Shang-Chi comics were starting to show up? Uh, um, I think it was, they had an Iron Kung Fist Fu at the time. Bell. Yeah, Iron Fist, Kung Fu. They had introduced some of these <clears throat> martial arts types of characters was right around that time. I think they'd only had Kung Fu and maybe um, the other one, but there was literally, I think, two, maybe three. Right. And it was very... Um, stereotypical of the right. times, you know, it was very like Asian guy fighting Asian guy, you know, like that's cringy. Yes. So yeah, I was a little bit um, surprised where when they first start yes. fighting, it's like kung fu, and I'm like, okay, and I'm like, what are they <laughs> right? doing exactly? And then they break up, and then the little the little the little text comes out, Tai Chi Chuan. I'm like. Okay. Um, it, it was just weird. I guess there, there's no, they're, they're just noble people when it comes to fighting, I suppose. And just like, oh, we're going to give you all the fighting styles that these guys know and just show you that even though he seems like a bit of an idiot, Captain Seas is actually a well trained fighter in so many different martial arts and, you know, combat. I mean, because obviously they then end with classic fisticuffs. But when he's then defeated, he's literally a whimpering moron. He's like, don't kill me. I mean, I'll just, and can we talk about the fact that Doc Savage gives people um, brain surgery to stop them from being criminals? I, I was going to bring that up next. That was, I, I, I didn't even know what to do with that one because it was more like acupuncture, but they were calling it brain, quote unquote, brain surgery. And he has this whole exposition. Ham's like, okay, well, what he does is he performs this brain surgery. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> he, what's on who now? Like, wait a minute, that can't be legal in any stretch of the imagination. Like, how does that fly? And, you know, this whole, like, recoup and the whole, like, we're going to teach you skills to do stuff with your life. I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening? Like, why, how, how, why? And it's all, like, this monastery, like, just, you learned this from monks somewhere in the mountains. And I was like, and that's very much a product of its time. Anytime they needed some weird skill, it was, I was trained in the mountains of such and such by monks that nobody has seen for 10 bajillion years. Like, All right, fair enough. That, that, that pans out 100%. I, <laughs> I guess so. Because, yeah, he's, it's almost like 
even though, like you say, it's using acupuncture because you have all the needles in the in the uh, the person's uh, head. I guess it's like he's taking the evil out of them. It's almost like it seemed to me. It seemed to me like is he lobotomizing these people in his own way? Because that's kind of what it seems like. Because after he's taken the evil away, the look on Captain Caesar's face looks like almost a mindless, almost zombie, kind of like uh, after having been lobotomized, because he's literally, like I said, turning these people into zombies, reprogramming them, and then sending them out into the world. And that's not morally questionable. No, not at all. I mean, I understand that at the end of the day, they become productive members of society. And we see Captain C's then, you know, raising money for whatever, orphans or what have you over Christmas. But still, it's like, Okay, so I guess Doc has all this money. He pays people to look the other way while he's performing illegal surgery on these people. I I guess so. I don't know. It was just one of those weird, like, the more you think about it, you're like, this is just wrong on so many moral levels. And again, in this rehabilitation center, there was a dozen or so, quote unquote, bad guys or villains or whatever you want to call it, like, where the hell did all those guys come from? And the fact that when you do see him, he's, what is it, like March of Dimes or something like that. And he's mm-hmm. just playing. He's like, Merry Christmas, Doc. And you're like, oh, that's... Mm. And Doc has this like evil, like, gray. Like, I really feel like Doc Savage is a supervillain that nobody realizes. He's just <laughs> the smartest supervillain. He's like, ha, 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 I'm going to take over the world one day. Like, I'm going to do all this good stuff. And then in reality, he's just going to become, like, the king of the world. And everyone's like, we love Doc. Of course. that and You know what? You might have a point there because the fact that you're literally robbing people of their free will pretty much and reprogramming them the way you see fit is not exactly like something that heroes would do. So I, I don't know. It was it was it, that was very weird. And I was kind of I was like, OK, that's not creepy at all. That he no, just right? randomly yeah. does this to people as, then- as evil as they might be. Uh, he had like an entire facility dedicated to this. I'm like, how, what, why, wait, like uh, how, and I don't understand any of this. So at it, some point he's just going to like snap his fingers and everybody's like, go vault. And they're just going to turn into this army of savages. And you're like, well, that checks out. Like, again, another one of those, like not really surprised. There's that, that joke line. I can't remember where I heard it, but it comes up for every time and again. It's like you live, your live long enough to see yourself become the villain in your own story. Like, I feel like that'd be doc savage. He, he'd become I, like magically immortal and he'd become the supervillain. I, you know, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, that's why I said I, and you know, it made me think very much of kind of, like I said, the whole lobotomy thing, because another movie that come uh, across during this time, the seventies was of course, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which mm-hmm. was very much about that concept of if you misbehave, you'll get lobotomized and that will take care of it. So I suppose also maybe, you know, I, I did not live the 70s, so I don't know. But from what I gathered, lobotomy seemed like a good thing during the 70s to do in the sense. I think, that- it, was the, I think it was the new thing in the 70s. That's why I was so like, oh, no, we're going to lobotomize everybody. Like, all right, whatever. Yeah, because you had, I guess, electroshock therapy and lobotomy, which were, you know, the breaking, uh, breaking techniques in the medical field for curing people of their mental illness. So, and so you know. Uh, we've luckily we've come quite a long way since then, but um, but yeah, I'm like, wow, okay, uh, Doc, uh, 
good for you, man. You know, just reprogramming people at random. And so then we get the whole Christmas time thing. And, uh, and pretty much, I guess that's where our movie ends because after that, we're like, Doc Savage will return. It was it the evil of the malice or some, some weird title. Something. <laughs> it was a bum- and it was a bumper sticker on the car. It wasn't even like, you know, it was like a, an end credit scene or something like that. It was, he was driving away and it's like, stay tuned for Doc Savage versus the left-handed people. Like what the crap just happened? Like it was just really spectacularly random because if you weren't paying attention or you like, you looked away, like I started to do and I turned back and I was like, why is there a bumper sticker with Doc Savage on it? So yeah, it was, it, it was amazing. It was. I mean, I, I want a sequel. I, I want. I want like two or three sequels for this movie. Me Obviously, never too. gonna happen. I mean, when I saw that Doc Savage will return, I'm like, so is there a sequel that Keith and I will get to review? Sadly, not because I'm like, <sighs> and now I want to see the sequel. Or once again, you wonder whether because you mentioned this um, earlier as well, whether this could have been seen possibly as a backdoor pilot for a TV show because, like you were even mentioning off the air. Uh, you know, you wouldn't really need that much of a budget to do a Doc Savage episode. No, not at all. I feel like this could easily be redone today, place it in the same time frame. Because obviously, if you were to do Doc Savage 2023, it wouldn't work quite as well because there's just too much technology and too much everything. So mm-hmm. I think if they did the retro 50s, 60s style Doc Savage, like when this is supposed to take place, I think it would work really well. Low budget or, you know, basic budget. And it wouldn't be that hard to accomplish. Definitely a bad guy of the week, like Doctor Who does, and a lot of the BBC America TV shows, they have the the single bad guy, but then there's the overarching villain. I, I think it would do fairly well today. I don't know if it'd be you know gangbusters and require like 10 seasons, but I think it'd be a good two or three season show. I think so too. And I mean, I, I, as I also mentioned to you, uh, <clears throat> rumor has it that there is a new Doc Savage movie in the works, which would star you know, uh, um, The Rock, of course, Dwayne Johnson. And you know, having seen this, would you be interested in seeing The Rock play Doc Savage? Yes and no. I think it's one of these things, um, as you and I were talking about this off air, uh, I feel like he has played a character much like this in Jumanji. So I think it wouldn't be a, a huge stretch. It would be very much a Jumanji style character. So not that The Rock is a bad casting choice for this. I just think we've seen him in a character very much like this, that I'd almost want to see somebody else's take on it. I do too. I mean, and also I'd like something. I mean, you know, like you said, The Rock does have that comedic timing, but I would like somebody akin to Ron Eli, you know, kind of looks like this guy, you know, and I'm sure blonde haired, blue eyed actors, who you know, are, have a decently sculpted physique, aren't that hard to find in Hollywood. No, I actually, weirdly enough, I, I could see like Chris Hemsworth or one of the Hemsworth brothers doing this just because they watching Chris's Thor, Thor has almost that weird Doc Savagey type of like, Hey guys, how's it going? What are you doing here? Like, what? Like, what do you want? So I think a Hemsworth could do it justice. Um, and they would need somebody like that just to kind of anchor the movie or TV show. Because if you get too much of a nobody, no one's going to want to watch it. Even if it's on Amazon or Netflix or, you know, whatever streaming service. Um, clearly, it's not going to go on HBO because they cancel everything that's not nailed down. Even though uh, DC Comics technically owns the rights, I don't think... It would do good on their service. 
And that's something else that you mentioned earlier is like, this is why we haven't, they haven't done any of anything with the Doc Savage property since the seventies, you know, because this, uh, this rock version or featuring the rock has been in development hell for some time. So, you know, it, it like you, you, you showed no surprise to us. Like, yeah, of course DC owns this. Cause I wonder whether had Disney owned it or Marvel studios owned it, we probably would have had a Doc Savage movie by this point. Probably a Disney Plus, just because they they need something to fill up the dead space. Just like I, I could see Disney doing a Conan, just because they own the rights for it. So we'll see. It makes sense. Yeah. So I guess going then back to to this version of uh, Doc Savage that we have, what do you give this movie out of ten, Keith? Ah, uh, so I'm I'm torn. Like I, I want to give it, you know, a really high score, but at the same time, you know, you look on like IMDb and they have an average of like five point five. And for the movie as it is, it's definitely a five. But for the entertainment value, I have to give it like a six, just because it's fun, it's cheesy, it is cliches all get out. The writing is campy, but it's a fun watch. It very much is. I'm also going to actually give it a six out of 10 because I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm definitely going to give it the passing grade because I was entertained. It's not a great movie by any you know, stretch of the imaginations in this is a, one of the most, the best pieces of film ever to grace the silver screen. Definitely not, but it is just so entertaining, so much fun. And I think it's, and as you mentioned, it's so of its time because they just don't make them like this anymore, as they would say. It's just one, it's almost like a time capsule of the kind yes. of comedy you once had. And I 100%. think for that, for that reason, it's probably why also endeared me to it even more. Because like this style of comedy, if you tried to do it these days, it probably wouldn't fly, would seem really weird. So, And that's why I love it, because I like a lot of things that came out of you know, previous decades, the 60s, the 70s, and what have you. Heck, loving Doctor Who from the 70s. This meant a lot to me. It was great fun. So uh, it's a 6 out of 10 for me, and I'm still hoping for that remake. If ever somebody has it in their basements, share it with us, because I want to see the second movie. So it's a passing grade for me. So let's then get to recommendations. Is there anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners, Keith, coming off this, this review of Doc Savage? So... Uh, weirdly enough, I have a shocking large number of recommendations. Ooh. So I, I, I would say check out any of the old 70s TV shows like The Green Hornet, Wild Wild West. Um, let's see what else. Heck, even the old Batman 66. If you like the cheese camp type movies, check out Batman 66. Um, a more modern movie I recommend is uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Bunzai. If you guys have not seen it, it's very much in the same same vein as this one. So I think I will say avoid the Green Hornet movie that came out because this kind of goes back to what you're saying is when they try to do a movie now, but use that type of humor, it does not translate. So don't go see Wild Wild West, the movie Will Smith. That was a terrible movie. Same thing with Green Hornet. They tried too hard. So, you know, keep it to the original TV shows. And I think you'll have a good, good time. Well, those are fantastic recommendations indeed. I'm actually going to go directly to the source material, folks. If you do want to see Doc Savage in his purest bronze form, you can definitely check out quite a few of his adventures. I, I find, the ones I found uh, were on Comixology. They have quite a few trade paperbacks collecting multiple stories of Doc Savage's. And, it, it, and if you're into what was, I guess, at the time known as pulp um, comics, it, it, it is literally that. The spirit is very different from this in that Doc Savage is taken incredibly seriously. 
and uh, it's just more dark. I guess imagine the shadow, but with uh, you know, a, a, a literally a bronze and fit man playing that role, less secretive and having all the powers in the world, but going into these crazy adventures all around the world. It's uh, it's very much once again as a uh, a, a, a should we say a result of its time. But if you really want to see one of the very first superheroes, because this was something else that uh, Keith and I were talking about, is Doc Savage predates Superman. He predates Captain America, he predates Batman. At the time, we had The Shadow and we had Doc Savage. Those were literally then the groundwork for what came later. So if you want to see pretty much almost where it all started, one of the granddaddies of superheroes, definitely check out the uh, trade paperbacks and the, co the collection of stories about Doc Savage for sure. So, uh, dear listeners, of course, if you'd like to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can uh, shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. If you show support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness, or follow us on Twitter, where you can find us as High Darkness Pod. And uh, Keith, when you're not here talking about The Man of Bronze and other such movies, where can folks find you and interact with you on the interwebs? Uh, they can find me on our, our Facebook page. I tend to monitor it. I, I like to see what everybody thinks. I'm on Twitter a little bit, but I, I don't really just, I'm there for kind of the peripheral to see, again, what our fans think of our show. So if you want to hit me up, definitely Facebook is the place to go. You know, drop a, a comment on any of our tags and I will be more than happy to talk to you about TV, movies, pick your poison. Fantastic. And uh, when it comes to me, folks, if you are fans of country music, you can find me hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. More info about that, visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, we've reached out uh, our other project, Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where myself, Sam Sprouse, and Rachel Friend are reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to Present Day. We did, of course, review Michael Anderson's Around the World in 80 Days, so you can see what we thought of that one. Also, uh, if you, uh, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast. We did wrap up the first six episodes of Season 4 of Titans and Doom Patrol. That podcast is now on hiatus. Next month in February, we'll be going back to the fandom zone to review the ninth and final season of CW's The Flash. So definitely have to see how that pans out. And uh, speaking of things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 1982 John Milius film, Conan the Barbarian. So uh, Keith, any uh, closing thoughts uh, before you sign off and anything you would like to uh, mention on our upcoming movie? Uh, no, I'm like I say with every one of our episodes, I'm always looking forward to the next one. But Conan is one of those near and dear to my heart. I grew up watching this as a little kid, so it'd be nice to. And it's been quite some time. I'm going to give it a couple of decades since I've watched it recently. So it, it, I know it has not aged well, and I'm just looking forward to watching it. <laughs> you and me both. So, folks, if you do want to hear us talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, of course, we're going to come back next week for that. As always, thank you for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Conan the Barbarian. Until then, stay super. Ciao. Lord, he's here. Oh.
could be so sweet and free once more. And a salute, God Savage. We are sweet, God Savage is the reason we are free as a bird. The USA.